0: Welcome to this week's podcast presented by Freedom Life Church. We hope you find today's message uplifting and encouraging as we dive into God's Word together. If you need any information about our church or this message, please go to WeareFreedomLife.com. Now let's get right into it. Without any further ado, my brother has been traveling for well over 25 years. Uh, across the globe in different places. You've heard them Friday night, Saturday night. Some of you were here for Friday. Some of you here for Saturday. Some of you have not been here and you you missed out. Well, you straight up. I'm not going to lie. You missed out. It was good stuff. But you're here today and I'm so excited to introduce not just someone that I appreciate their preaching and anointing, but he is a brother to me. He is a brother to me in so much that he would never put a, f- a live fish in my pocket uh, randomly like that. Um, only he understands that joke. But he is a brother that I love and appreciate, and uh, he is a man of God. Would you please rise to your feet and give a wonderful freedom life? Welcome to Jamie Montero, friend of the house, friend of the house. Come on, somebody. I whispered in his ear, I would put a fish in your pocket. A goldfish. <laughs> it is an honor to be in the house with you. And uh, man, he is he is my friend. And uh, he, we got close when he was on the road uh, traveling as well. And, and I just have to brag on him and his bride. Uh, you, you truly do have two of God's absolute best. I don't know if you know that. And, uh, as an evangelist, I can say this, don't clap for them, give them a raise, come on somebody, (laughs) don't give them tips or don't give them a, a, a track, give them tips. Um, but in saying that, man, they are truly God's best. The anointing I've, uh, we, we, we've done a lot of camps before and after each other and we traced each other all over this globe And, uh, he was someone that when, when our youth ministry was exploding, man, I said, Hey, I need your voice in our, our, and when I say our kids, it was my personal kids life. And, uh, and then he has, he has returned the opportunity to me multiple times. And I just want you to know, I love you. I love your kids and, uh, I love them with all my heart. And man, it's just an honor to be here. I want to say thank you in advance. To your, to your generosity towards our ministry. Can I say this? And I mean it with everything inside of us. You're not paying me to be here. You're sending and sowing into us to the next. And next week, I fly uh, out on uh, Saturday to Indiana to do another revival. We have been nonstop. I have preached every weekend. Uh, since the beginning of March, and uh, I've been in this will be my 30th state since March, and uh, uh, I, I actually will preach all the way until the week before Christmas. But we've seen God just pouring out, and I never have set. I never have a set amount to come, but we do have needs, and so I just say, help us to continue to reach people. A couple of weeks ago, we were in a maximum security prison. And uh, man, we watch God break out. You know it's God. We were given an hour and a half, and we went four hours, and and about sixty men, uh, one of which I, I did get to talk to. Uh, he's in there serving a double life sentence. And, uh, man, just sitting there sobbing as a, just a, a man that God was just undoing with bitterness and hurt and resentment, a man who has was raised in abuse, both sexual and physical abuse. And, uh, man, God was just setting him free. So not only thank you for, your, for the finances that you're sowing into our ministry or about to, I also want to say thank you for praying for us. We can't do it without prayer. And when I first went on the road, the Lord said, don't raise up people that will finance back your ministry, raise up intercessors that will pray for your ministry. And that's what we ask, is you simply uh, pray for us. I have a beautiful bride. Um, I, I, would say she would be here, but I have two grandbaby girls and uh, I have three children. Children were a major priority. I'll never forget. She was traveling and speaking with me. And, and, uh, one day she looked at me and she said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to travel and speak right now. God's not called me to raise, uh, to, to, to travel the, the nations like he's called you. She said, you may be the priest of the house, but I'm the pastor. And she said, my job is to pastor these kids, and she's done extremely well. And now she has two grandbaby girls, and, uh, man, they are our world. Gracie James uh, is, is our two-year-old gra- uh, grandbaby girl. And then we have Addie Addison Brave, and she is three months old. And let's just say this. They, I thought my girls, my two daughters, had me wrapped around their fingers. My, my grandbabies have my wallet wrapped around their fingers. <laughs> And uh, grandbabies, the best part of grandbabies is they are our revenge and our reward. So uh, just saying, I love it. I love it. I love it. I just, the other day I was sitting there and my Gracie, she's just busy. She's busy. And I thank God for it. And if she starts slowing down, I give her fruit roll-ups and all kinds of Skittles and, and I'll give her Red Bull. I don't care. I just, my job is not to discipline her. My job is to spoil the mess out of her and really teach my daughter how to be a good parent, and, uh, but the other day, she was just sitting there, and she just had this look, and I know that look, I I remember having that look on my face, Uh, but she got herself into some trouble, and uh, I'm just going to say, I didn't, I didn't watch her do it entirely, but I watched her kind of do it, and uh, so we both got in trouble, so I'm just going to let you know, my daughter is parenting her dad and her daughter, so pray for me. But I, I, was, I had a totally different message. I, I, that's one thing I can tell you. I probably have about 1,200 messages in my iPad I could pull from. And you probably have heard pastors say, or, or maybe Tony at times say, man, I was going to preach one thing, and then God changed it. Can I tell you, I just want to be sensitive. And I'm okay, because all Scripture points to Jesus. I don't care if you preach about David, Paul, Samuel, you preach about John, you preach about the apostles, you preach about the prophets, they're all pointing to Jesus. And that's the ultimate message. And I was going to preach a message on David, but and, and that's what we were talking about: is going, you know, becoming who God created us to, to, to be and do what God called us to do. And, and then he started worshiping and it messed that all up. <laughs> Kurt, thank you for just loving Jesus. Thank you for pointing people towards Jesus, man. I, I feel God all over you. And I believe you carry that anointing like David carried. There's an anointing that God put on a young man that worshiped him in spirit and in truth and had a heart of worship. And because of that worship, when he would begin to worship, healing was released. And man, I feel that on you. And man, I believe that God's going to, it's not gonna be a strange thing that when you're creating and and conducting worship, that people are gonna be physically healed. I really believe that. Because once that anointing is released to the earth, it's always here. And David's not here to carry it anymore, so it's, God's looking for a generation of those who are men and women after his heart, and you are that, man, I, I just want to say thank you. But, all of a sudden, I just, yeah, you can clap, definitely. <clears throat> but, I just changed everything, and I felt, I just said, man, I, I woke up feeling this way, and I was just like, man, I'm going to tie this message into just talking about Jesus, but And then all of a sudden I said, no, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. I'm not going to use another character to talk about Jesus. I'm just going to talk about him. And whether you're in this room and you have a close relationship with Jesus, no matter how old you are, can I tell you that God wants you to know who he is. God wants you to know every aspect of who Jesus is. Not just know about him. There's a lot of people that are in church that know about God. And they get to a point where they think, well, man, I know God. But can I tell you, the knowledge of God never ends. The more you know, the more you desire to know. I'll never forget, when I first gave my life to Jesus, a pastor, uh, I I just was asking him some questions. I'm like, man, how do I get closer to God? And and he said, hey, I'll have a gift for you tomorrow. And, And he brought me a Bible. I'll never forget, I had Bibles, but he brought me this Bible and he brought it to the church and, and, he, and, and in the inscription it said, read five pages a day and you'll never go back to who you used to be. And I remember just going, what does that mean? And it was a, it was a Walmart Bible, I'll never forget it. it had a sticker price of $9.96. It was a large print, New King James. It was nothing fancy. It had 1,696 pages in there. And I was just like, man, I'm going to get into this. But one of the things when I opened up into Genesis, he had this, he had this, this quote. He said, the closer you get to God, the further you will realize you are away from him. The closer you get to God, the further you will realize that you're away from him. And I didn't realize what that really meant until one day I was elk hunting and I got a great big elk and he was, he weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds and and I, I, I was hunting in Colorado, and it felt like I had just went over a, maybe a mountain, maybe a mountain and a half. And I didn't realize that quote, and it really came alive when I started dragging that carcass back to my truck. Talking about 500, 600-pound elk. And I'm dragging it, me and my dad. And I'm like, dear Lord, we started hunting in Colorado, but somewhere we ended up in Canada. Like, dear God, I, I did not realize how far... I had went. Can I say that again? When you start trying to get your way back, you will never realize how far you really strayed. And God's wanting us as close to him as we can possibly get. So let's just open up to a scripture. We're going to we're going to read two specific scriptures this morning. We're gonna read Isaiah chapter nine, verses six. Isaiah chapter nine, verses six, and then we're gonna slide into the New Testament of Mark chapter eight, 27 through 29. So Isaiah chapter nine, verses six, and then we're gonna slide into Mark chapter eight, verses 27 through 29. I want us to do something before we do that, and I want us to to stand to our feet all over this place. And we're gonna stand to our feet while we read these two scriptures. But I want us to do something as you are standing. I want us to go to a place where decisions are made. Because it don't matter what is preached. It don't matter what is sung. See, you guys don't know this. But last night, I preached a message about people just coming to the cross and, and, and people were given, teenagers especially, were given pieces of tape and that duct tape represented guilt and sin and, and how that sin was either going to be on them or it was going to be placed on the cross. And last night, you don't see it, you don't necessarily see the marks, but there was tape all over this altar of teenagers ripping the guilt and the, the sin off of them and they're placing it at the feet of Jesus saying, cover me, forgive me, wash me. That all happens because somebody made a decision. And a lot of us, we, made, we didn't make a decision. We got dressed, we came, got in our car, we came to church, and we think that that's, not, that's enough, but that's not enough. There are a lot of people that walked where Jesus walked. Can I tell you that Judas walked with Jesus for three years but had absolutely no relationship with him? Can you imagine? He saw the miracles. He saw the feeding of 5,000 He saw the blind see. He saw the dead raised. He saw it with his own eyes and had absolutely no relationship. And yet, if you were to ask Judas, do you know Jesus? He would say, I I know him. Me and Jesus are like that. Hang out with him every day. Man, he even lets me carry the money. But didn't even know him. Do you know that there was people that cried out to Jesus, but do you know how many people that didn't cry out to Jesus? Because they thought they were good. They were there. Being there does not make you know God. There's going to be a lot of people, it says, many, many, many will call unto Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Did we not do this? Did we not do this? And Jesus says, Depart from me, wretched worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Isn't it amazing? All the things that those people say We cast out demons, we healed the sick, we raised the dead. And Jesus says, But yet one thing you didn't do you didn't know me. So I want us to do something really quick. With your eyes closed all of this place, I want us to go to that place where decisions are made. And if you're ready for God to speak directly to you this morning, and you're ready for God to reveal not only a new aspect, but a personal, intimate detail of who he is and who he wants you to know him as. See, unless the Father reveals Jesus to us, we don't know him. And we need Jesus to pull back the curtain. We need him to break down the walls. We need Jesus to begin to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. But we got to make a conscious decision that I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just know about him. I don't want just a 30-minute message that makes me go, Hey, yes, yeah, yeah that, I agree with that. I want us to have an encounter with Jesus where we walk out of this building walking different, living different, being different because we are different because we have a head-on collision with Jesus and we walk away with spiritual whiplash and we're changed. If you're ready for God to speak to you, I want you to raise both hands towards heaven. If you're ready, I can't ask you if your wife or your husband or your kids or your mom or dad are ready. If you are ready for God to speak directly to you today and to begin to reveal himself to you like never before, I want you to raise both hands towards heaven and I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you're ready, say this with me. Say, Jesus... Today is my day. Speak to me and transform me by your word. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind that's ready, willing, and able to believe and receive every word that you would speak into my existence. I give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. But from this moment on, you have my attention, you have my permission, so have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said amen. Let's read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6. It says, for unto us a child is born. I want you to think about this for a moment while we're still standing. Isaiah says, for unto us, it's a prophetic utterance of something that was coming. Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. Mark 8, 27 through 29. It says, now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men, notice his words, who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. You may be seated. Jesus will ask questions like, who do people say that I am? But then he'll personalize it and say, but who do you say that I am? There will come a time, and maybe this is that moment, that intersection, that crossroads, if you will, where God says, well, who does your pastor say that I am? Who do your parents say that I am? Who does this nation say that I am? But then he draws you close. He pulls you close, and he says, listen, that's great, but who do you? Who do you say that I am? And you know what I've found out? Who Jesus was to me when I gave my life to him twenty-one, or at the age of 21 is completely different than who he is now. Yeah, he still is my savior, but he's become so much more. He's become so much greater. I have found out I need Jesus more today than the day I first got saved. See, ever since Jesus was born, people have tried to figure out who he is. Let's be honest, ever since we first heard of Jesus ourselves and have come and, and, and he has come into our lives, we have been begin or began to try to, try to figure out who he is. Our image of Jesus often changes by what's going, what we're going through, the type of day we're having, and how we emotionally feel. Right? Jesus one day is faithful, and then you walk through a storm and you're like, doesn't he care? Let's be honest, the disciples, let's just use their, I won't even throw you under the bus. I'll throw the disciples, the ones that were in, that were Jesus, and they're like, man, who who is this guy? And then all of a sudden, they go through a storm, and they're like, don't you care that we're perishing? And then all of a sudden, Jesus calls the wind and the waves, and he says, wait a second, who is this guy? That even the wind, they they, they just would be tossed to and fro. They were emotionally driven. And we also are emotionally driven. We have a bad day, we question God's faithfulness. We have a good day, we're grateful for God's faithfulness. We have a fight with our spouse, God, man, how can you let this happen? We have an amazing day with our spouse, and we're like, oh God, thank you for letting this happen. And we're constantly just being tossed to and fro. See, our our image of Jesus constantly changes. But I want you to understand, no matter who or no matter what's happening to us, it cannot change our image of Jesus. He's faithful no matter what. He's generous no matter what. He's generous not because you have more than enough. He's generous because of who he is. He's the healer not because he heals you, but because he is the healer. He is the savior and the deliverer, not depending on what's going on in your life. Jesus is who he is all the time. And our day, uh, one day we proclaim him as faithful, other days we question if he even cares. And in those days, the poles were, uh, were split. Some people said he was Emmanuel, God is with us, while others said that he is Beelzebub, the chief of demons. Most had an opinion of his identity depending on their own personal encounter with him. How we see Jesus will determine is determined by who we were before we met him. Think about this. What happened when you met Jesus? Where were you when you met him? And how did you respond to him after you met him? I'll never forget when I got when I got, I was preaching at this church and this, this old retired uh, pastor slash missionary comes up to me and he said, I can tell you your salvation was radical. I said, how do you know? And he says, because the way that you minister is based on how you were saved. He says, I can tell you when you, when you lived in the world, you were all in. And he says, and I can tell you that because you're pretty passionate about how you preach now. I said, well, listen, absolutely. I said, if I was gonna give everything to the world, why wouldn't I give everything to Jesus? If I didn't care what the world thought when I was getting drugged up and selling drugs and, and, and being an addict, why would I care what the church thinks if I'm a little bit loud? There are gonna be people all over stadiums today that are drunk and tripping, out, tripping over themselves because of a stupid game. Let's be honest, stupid game because probably your team's going to lose today. I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to be honest. I'm still bitter from Colorado getting just smacked yesterday. But the reality of it is, we'll we'll lose our ever-loving minds for a team that cares nothing about you. But yet we get into church, and we're like, I can't act like that. That's just not who I am. I'm very reserved. Well, let me light you on fire. Let's see how reserved you really are. See, how were you saved? Who were you before you met Jesus? I'm, I'm reminded in scripture, those that have been forgiven much love much. And those that have been forgiven much don't care because the same woman that walked in in the shadows that wouldn't have been invited into the house stayed in the shadows until she started pouring out oil on the feet of Jesus and weeping and washing his feet with her tears. Can I tell you, that woman is gonna be the same woman that cares less what religious people think because they never gave her a seat at the table, but Jesus made room for her. Who were you before you met Jesus will determine who you are after you met Jesus. See, there's a lot of people even here today who have been around Jesus and the things of Jesus and still don't truly know who he is. But today I, want, I, I, I pray that it changes everything and that we're introduced to who he really is. See, our text is found in a very intense time there is an overwhelming heaviness approaching. Emotions are on high, A weariness, and weariness is setting in. So much to do, and so many needs, and so many hurting people, and so little time. Jesus understood the urgency of the hour for that event, and for this reason, this was literally six months before he was gonna be crucified that he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? He needed, listen to this, he needed his disciples to know for themselves who he was, not just who everyone else said that he was. He did not ask them to reaffirm him, but instead to reconfirm within them. He did not need them to build his confidence, but rather further establish their confidence in who he was to them so that they could walk in in, in confidence and security of doing the work that God had called them to be. Because I can tell you this, until you truly know who Jesus is, you'll never know who you really are. So Jesus is asking this question. Who do they say that I am? The son of man. Who do the people say that the son of man is? What are people saying about me? See, there was a lot of talk about Jesus those days. The blind saw Jesus as the son of David. The unclean saw Jesus as touchable. The children saw Jesus as approachable. The masses saw Jesus as inspiring. The desperate saw Jesus as hope. The sick saw Jesus as healer. The hungry saw Jesus as provider. The the lonely saw Jesus as friend. The religious saw Jesus As confusing, but let's go back 700 years before that cradle rocked. Before that star burned, before the wise men gave their gifts, before the angels sung their song, Isaiah dipped his prophetic pen into inspired ink, walking in the past, looking to the future, and giving good news for the present. Isaiah wrote about the greatest single event in all of human history, the, 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 the time that would literally split. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Isaiah tells us while under the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that no one should misunderstood, uh, misunderstand from that moment forward as Isaiah proclaims who this Jesus is. Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born. This speaks of the humanity of Jesus. See, Jesus was human. Jesus was born the son of man. Jesus was born of an earthly mother. He put on human flesh. He lives thirty three years on this earth as a man. Let me tell you what this means. Jesus walked like a man. He talked like a man. He he thought like a man. He had feelings like a man. He ate like a man. Jesus had emotions like a man. He hurt like a man. Jesus was tempted like a man. He was hungry. He hungered like a man. He thirsted like a man. He got tired like a man. Jesus suffered like a man. Jesus died like a man. And Jesus was buried like a man. He was fully human. You see, when he put on that human flesh, he knew from that moment on what you and I would feel and go through and every feeling that you could ever have, he had everything that you could do, everything you faced, he faced. And this would, what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, the high priest of ours, for he faced the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Don't tell me you can't do this. Don't tell me that, oh, I'm only human. So was Jesus. What we do is we fault to our error. We fault to our weakness, and it gives us an excuse to continue in bad behavior. See, Jesus was fully human, but Jesus was also holy. See, Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The phrase, a child is born, speaks of the humanity of Jesus. But the phrase, a son is given, speaks of the deity of Jesus. As a child, he is the son of man. As a son, he is the son of God. As a child, he helps us to understand his earthly beginning. As a son, he helps us to understand his eternal promise. As a child, he was born to live with us. But as a son, he was given to die for us so that we could live with him eternally. See, yes, Jesus, a child is brought into but a son was sent forth and sent from yes Jesus was born from an earthly mother but he was given by a heavenly father Jesus had royal blood the blood of his heavenly father flowing through his veins Isaiah 7 verse 14 therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall give him the name Emmanuel God with us Jesus is Savior, but is he Emmanuel? Meaning he's with you. He may have been with your grandma, but is he with you? Is he Emmanuel to you? He was given as a price to be paid so that we could spend eternity with him. See, Jesus was so human that he could be born in a stable, but he was so divine that angels had to come and announce his birth. Jesus was so human that he, had, he could get tired and lay down in a boat while crossing the Sea of Galilee, but he was so divine that he could speak to the storm and cause the winds to lose their breath. Jesus was so human that he could go onto a mountain and pray all night, but he was so divine that he was the one who called that mountain forth. Jesus was so human that he could weep at the grave of Lazarus, but he was so divine that he could call Lazarus out of that grave. Jesus was so human that he could die on a cross, but he was so divine that he would come back to life and conquer death, hell, and the grave. See, but today, it is not just about the nature of Jesus, but the name of Jesus. See, there's something supernatural about his name. It says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. See, my prayer is that people begin to bow and get to know him as Lord now, not because it's too late. Notice what Isaiah said. He said, and his name shall be called. Notice these words, and his name shall be called. Notice Isaiah did not say, and his names shall be called. Isaiah said, his name shall be called. A single name cannot describe him, but may I remind you that God first revealed himself as God. Some of you, Jesus is your friend, not your God. Some of you, Jesus is a good teacher, not your God. Some of you, Jesus has some good advice, but he's not your God. Let me say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step on some toes here. Some of you, Jesus is your alternative, but not your God. He's your way out, he's your help, he's your escape, but he's not your God. Because when he's your God, see, uh, let me give you an example. You remember in Mark chapter 11, there was this rich young ruler that came running after Jesus. You remember that? He comes running after Jesus and he says, he says, good teacher, good teacher, good teacher. Tell me how to inherit eternity as my home. Tell me how to make heaven. And this is what Jesus says. Why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. You see me as a good teacher. You see me as some You're wanting good advice, but you don't see me as God. He's literally putting out his hand to introduce him. I'm God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the door. You're still trying to find a window to climb in. You want eternity? Right here. Know me. He says, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. And he could tell this guy was just blinded. And he says, you know the rules... You know, the, you know the guidelines, the standards, you know the commandments, honor your father and your mother, honor, you know, do not kill, do not steal, do not commit adultery, you know those things? And this kid gets this great big smile, Pastor Corey, and he starts smiling, going, oh, I did all that. I'm tied. I went to church. I was a member of that church, so I'm really good. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks at him, and his face fell, and he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And the man, his face fell because he was a man of great wealth. Now, notice this. At the beginning, he's running after Jesus, and now he's found walking away from him because the cost was too much. I've said this before in this church, but let me remind you. I think Jesus called 13 apostles. One of them said no because this is the exact same call that Jesus gave to Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew. He said, leave everything behind, come follow me. And this man said, no. We all have invitation. Not everybody will show up. Does it not say that Jesus says, where are all my guests? Some of them had funerals. Some of them had marriage. Somebody had business. And Jesus says, well, then go find others. Go into the highways, the byways, that my house may be filled. Can I tell you, Jesus is looking for people to know him as God. He's looking to know pe- people to know him as Savior, healer, and deliverer all the time, not just when we feel like it or it's going our way. See, who do you say that I am? See this first, the first name, the first nature of God he reveals to us as his God. See. Then he continued to reveal other names based on his nature. These names were shared, because, uh, were, were shared because it was impossible to reveal himself or his nature in a single name. See, for example, in Genesis chapter one, verses one, he revealed himself as God. And the name speaks of almighty God. In the beginning, he revealed himself as the God of might. Then he demonstrated his might in creation and in heaven and earth. And although the name God is very informative and inspiring, the name says nothing about him as a God of love or a God of grace, or a God of mercy, or a God of justice, or a God of patience. See, our God is so great and so glorious that it's impossible to reveal himself in just a single name. A single name cannot describe him. A single name cannot define him. See, you can list all the names of God if you want to, yet you still will fall short not understanding or fully defining who he really is. See, you can take the alphabet and go through it with every letter listing and thinking about all the names and attributes of God, but you still will never be able to scratch the surface of the greatness and the glory of God. Isaiah said this is the child and his child has a name. We know him as Jesus, Lord, Master, Savior, Deliverer, Healer, Christ. He has many titles, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Fairest of 10,000, the Rose of Sharon, the bright and Morning Star. But then, see, I'm a man of nicknames, so you can ask Jay. Jay, I gave Jay a nickname yesterday. His nickname slides. (laughs) Pastor Tony is the great Fisherman. So when I go to Jesus, let me explain something. There's, there's characteristics and natures of God that I've gotten to know. See, I've always known Jesus as healer until I was diagnosed with stage 3, early stage 4 lung cancer, and they told me I had 30 days to live. You talk about faith then. I had none. I'd seen blind eyes open. I'd seen people get up out of a wheelchair. I have a death certificate where my bride and I went into a, a ICU room and a man was called forth. We prayed for him and he came in and lived three more years. And he was, the doctor signed the death certificate. But when it comes to you, who is Jesus to you? September 7th, I'm sitting in a, in a room. They're just checking me. I barely survived from COVID. Both lungs were almost filled with fluid. They were checking scar tissue. I, I was having such a terrible time breathing. It literally felt, when I breathed, it felt like somebody was stabbing me with a knife in my upper right lung. So I literally would take shallow breaths because if I took an, a, a full breath, it literally would almost bring tears to my eyes. I went to the doctor. The doctor was only supposed to take five minutes to make sure that the the images were good, and he took over an hour. He walks in and he has this blank stare on his face, and and he looks at me, and I look at him, and he doesn't say anything for probably about about thirty seconds. And finally, I asked him, Doctor, is there is everything all right? You're just have you're kind of freaking me out a little bit. And he says, I don't know how else to tell you this. You have either late stage three or early stage four lung cancer. You have a six millimeter nodule on your right lung. And he says, and the shape, the size, and the placement. He said, we've already people from. Of the top, some of the top oncologists and people of can- cancer specialists across the world have already seen this. And he said, "And the one I trust the most, he's already te- he's already diagnosed you." And I said, "What does that mean?" He says, "You have less than a month to live." I had a whole lot of pastors I could have called at that moment. I didn't call any of them. They took ten days to get me into a CAT scan. They wasted, I told, I told my doctor all the time, you wasted a third of my life trying to figure out if I was gonna live or die. I walked into that, that, that CAT scan room and there was a technician and I looked at him and I said, bro, I can, uh, he was telling me, you gotta lay here real still, you can't move. It's gonna take about 35, 40 minutes. And all of a sudden I said, can I, can I borrow you? And he said, borrow me. I said, yeah, will you pray with me? And he said, yo, no, no, that's, that's not me. And he said, I'm not that religious person. I said, I didn't ask you to pray for me. I said, will you pray with me? And he's like, again, I'm, I'm just, that's just not who I am. I said, let me, I'm not asking you. <laughs> I'm needing you. I said, do you understand what they're checking me for? They're checking to see if I'm going to be alive next month. I said, I have three kids. I've been married. I said, I have a grandbaby. I said, can I, I I need a little bit of help here. And the Bible says where two or more are gathered that he is in the midst. I just need another. And he said, all right. I grabbed his hands. I was in a paper robe. I don't know if you've ever wore those paper robes, but they don't cover nothing. It's like grabbing a Kleenex and trying to cover somebody laying on the ground. I was just exposed. And I grabbed his hand, I pulled him in, I started hugging on him (laughs) while praying. And all of a sudden, he, you could tell he was kind of squirming at first. And then all of a sudden, me praying for me turned into me praying for him. God, that you would wrap your loving arms around him. Let him feel your love like he's never felt before. Become more real. And I, I prayed a prayer that I believe was inspired from heaven. I said, God, I said, Jesus, become more than just a character that stained the pages of a historic book, but become real to him. Become his Lord, his Savior. Become his friend. Become his help. And all of a sudden, I noticed this guy's kind of bouncing, and he's crying. And all of a sudden, I, I said, amen. And he goes, wow. He said, oh, that was amazing. I said, do you know Jesus? And he said, no. I said, do you want to? He said, yes, right there. We led, I led him to Jesus. He tells me, now all of a sudden we have this relationship. You don't get that close in a, in a paper robe without having some brothers for life. I'm sitting there. 30 minutes, it felt like hell in that room. I'm going to tell you, I I felt so alone. I didn't feel God's presence. I didn't feel goosebumps. I didn't feel promises. I was just trying to remember. God, could this be it? 30 minutes later, he gets done and he says, hey, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. He said, they're going to take this image and they're sending it all over the world. They're going to look at the rooting pattern. They're going to look at all these different things. And he said, I'm just going to be honest. If you hear from your doctor within 24 hours, it's not good. I said, all right, appreciate you. Got in my car. Shelly was asking, how's everything? I said, it's all right. We can't hear from the doctor for 24 hours. We drive home 45 minutes. My phone starts ringing. It's the doctor. There was no faith. I'm going to be honest with you. There was no, oh, thank you, Jesus. There was no praise in that car. It felt like the air was knocked out of me. She saw my phone. I said, it's Dr. Brian. She said, oh, God. She said, answer it. I said, I can't. I went to hand it to her. I accidentally sent it to voicemail. Now we're waiting for the voicemail, and I'm sitting there just panicking, sweat, and tears running down my face going, dear God. All of a sudden, the phone says voicemail, and I push it, and he says, hey, champ, this is Dr. B. I'm just letting you know. There's no longer a six millimeter nodule. He says where it was, it's no longer there. He says, you have three millimeter nodules covering your entire right lung. We don't know what they are, but we're not worried about any of them. And he says, I've already sent it to some of the experts and the experts said, no, this guy's good. Can I tell you two weeks later, I got off the phone, I I got up, called him, and I said, what do you mean it's not there anymore? He said, one of the experts asked if you had a surgery. He says, because when they go in and take a tumor, they take the surrounding skin. He said, it was all gone. There's a dimple from where your tumor once was, as if it was surgically removed. He said, he asked him if you had a uh, a procedure. I told him no. He said, I told him it was gone. Two weeks later, I didn't have a nodule on my lung. Can I tell you, I'm living on borrowed time. I'm a dead man walking. My entire existence is for one reason, to make Jesus known. But can I tell you, come on, give God praise. From that moment on, I don't care what you say, Jesus heals. I don't care if you believe it. It ain't going to change my life, but it may change your life. But can I tell you, I knew Jesus as a healer until I got to the point where I had to know him as a healer. But can I tell you, not one time was I saying, God, heal me. I found myself saying, God, if this is your will, I know it's not. I even told Pastor Tony, I I, I told somebody this. I think I told Jay this yesterday. I literally told Jesus this. I said, listen, you healed me of COVID to let me die of cancer. I said, but I won't die of cancer. I'll go to Baghdad, Baghdad, Iraq and preach downtown. I'll have my head cut off before I die of cancer. God said, no, let's just relax. Relax. See, I want to talk to you about who he is just for the next couple of moments, if that's okay. See, to the hindered, he is the amazing God. Isaiah said that you can call him wonderful because he is wonderful. See, his name speaks of one who is out of the ordinary. It speaks of God who is being unique and different. He is mar- marvelous one, the astonishing one. There is no one like him. You see, there, 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 there's none besides him. Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27 says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the very end, that I, he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, and 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 I, not another. How my heart yearns, yearns within me. Job walked through hell, but watch what happens after he comes out the other side. Job chapter forty-two, verses two through six. I know that you can you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked who is the, the who is this that questions my wisdom and so, with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things that I knew nothing about. Things too far, wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. And I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Then I heard about you before. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes and show myself in repentance. Can I tell you? Some of you don't know God is faithful, but He's faithful and He's going to reveal Himself. It's faithful to you. Some of you don't know God is healer. You don't know God is compassionate. You don't know God is powerful. But can I tell you? Just because you don't know it doesn't mean He's not. And it doesn't mean that He's not going to sh- reveal that to you. See, He is wonderful. To the hindered, he is the amazing God. But see, to the helpless, he is the approachable God. Some of you feel hopeless and you feel like, how can I come to God? See, he's approachable. Isaiah said that you can call him counselor because he is the one that will guide you. That name speaks of one who, you, who can give you guidance and direction. A counselor is someone that you can turn to for help and advice. He will guide you with his word. He will direct you with his spirit. He will lead you with his voice. Psalm 16, verse seven. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. You can approach him, but see to the helpless he's the approachable God, but to the hopeless, he's the almighty God. Isaiah said, you can call him mighty, mighty God, because there is nothing Jesus cannot do. Now, as a counselor, the Lord can tell you what is right, but as a mighty God, he can empower you to do what is right. See, God is mighty in his presence. God is mighty in his provision. God is mighty in his power. God is mighty in his perception. God is mighty in his promise. And God is mighty in his protection. As long as God is, there is hope. As long as God is, there is help. As long as God is, there is healing. There is nothing impossible for God because God will always be God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, Oh, Lord, behold. Behold, you have made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm and there is nothing too hard for you to do see God himself responded in Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 27 he said behold I am the Lord the God of all flesh and there is nothing nothing too hard for me see God is able To the hindered, he is the amazing God. To the helpless, he is the approachable God. To the hopeless, he is the almighty God. But to the hurting, he is the affectionate God. Somebody in this room needs to hear this. You've been hurting and God wants to show you affection and compassion like you've never known. See Isaiah said you can call him everlasting father because he is the only one who was in, no, who has no beginning and has no ending. He is the one from eternity past that has entered into relationship with man. He is not, not some distant God that man cannot know. He is a father that loves and cares for his own. Psalms uh, 68 verse 5. A father of the fatherless. A judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. Psalms 103 verses 8 through 14. The Lord is compassionate and mercy slow, merciful, slow to, and, and, to get angry and f- uh, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remind us, uh, or remain angry forever. See, he does not punish us as our sins deserve. He does not deal harshly with us for, for, for his unfailing love towards us who fear him it is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows, listen to this, he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only made out of dust. See, he is always where we need him to be when we need him the most, because to the hurting, he's the affectionate God. But lastly, to the heartbroken, he is the assuring God. Isaiah said to him, you can call him Prince of Peace because he comes to you to give you peace. Jesus is the prince of peace who can gladden the grieving, heal the hurting, and save the sinning. See, he is the one who will fill your life with peace and assurance. The prince of peace will not leave or you comfortless. He will not leave you alone. He will come to you. He will help you. He will comfort you. And he will love you. I want you to know that the prince, uh, the, the peace that Jesus gives to you cannot, can keep you free. It can't keep you from a storm, but it can quiet the storm inside of you in the midst of the storm. See, Psalms 4 verses 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, can keep me safe. Isaiah 26 verses 3, you will keep me in perfect peace. All who trust in you. Those that are hindered need him. Those that are hurting need him. Those that are helpless need him. Those that that are uh, hopeless need him. Those that are heartbroken need him. So my question to you today is who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? He asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, Elijah. Jeremiah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets of old, and then all of a sudden he turns it and he looks at him in the eyes, a man that he's been walking with them for almost three years, and he looks at him and he says, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Son of God. And I love what he responded. He says, Don't worry about sharing that with anybody. Just don't ever forget it. Because nobody has told you. Your pastor didn't tell you that. A prophetic dream that from or that somebody received didn't tell you that. The only my father revealed who I really am to you. So who do you say that I am? Kurt, can I get you to come on up? Who do you say that I am? I want you to close your eyes and I'm not gonna ask you to stand to your feet quite yet, but I want you to close your eyes. Who is Jesus to you? And I guarantee who he is to you is completely reliant upon what you have experienced him doing. For some of you, he truly is the lifter of your head because in some of your worst moments when, when you couldn't bear the sight of your future thinking that, there was not, that it was never in existence, Jesus lifted up your head. For those that have walked through death of loved ones feeling that grief that was so overwhelming, can I tell you, to, to, to you, he's the comforter. He comforted you when nothing else could. He helped you get through the worst moment of your life when you felt like you couldn't make it. To those that are in this room that have contemplated suicide, depression, literally had a chokehold on you, suffocating the very life out of you, yet Jesus caused your heart to continue to beat. He caused himself, he, he did spiritual CPR on you. To you, he is life, and life more abundantly. To those that were once addicted and bound by the chains of the decisions that you had made and the addictions that consumed your life, he walked you out of a prison that you never thought you could get free from. To you, he's deliverer. To those that were perishing sinking in sin and hopelessness and helplessness somewhere you walked into a building or walked into a conversation and told somebody told you about Jesus as Savior and asked you do you want to know Jesus do you want do you want Jesus to save you and you said yes can I tell you to you he's Savior he's all things to all to everyone but some of us know Jesus as the man that died on the cross and that's as far as it goes Jesus oh i can quote john 3:16 for god so loved the world god loved me enough to send his son but i don't love god enough to accept him god Jesus loved me enough to die in my place. But I don't love Jesus enough to live for him in my workplace. I got to ask you the question. Not just who do you say that Jesus is. I have to ask the question, do you know him? I've been coming to church for years no, no 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 I didn't ask that I said do you know him does he wake you up every morning do you spend conversation with him as soon as you jump out of bed do you want to read a love story that he handwrote wrote for you do you do you know him but then I got asked the next question is do you want to know him more Are you good with what you know? Father, I preached what you told me to preach. I did what you told me to do to the best of my ability. God, this is where I get out of the way so you can have your way. God, this is the point. Lord Jesus, you came. You came so that your people can know you. There's people that need to know you as healer. There's people that need to know you as deliverer. There's people in this place that need to know you as Savior. You've not changed. If you did it then, you could do it now. You're the God of miracles. So, Father, I just simply ask that you would invade this place and, Holy Spirit, you would fill this presence with yours. That you would begin to knock on the doors of the hearts, Jesus, of every person here, young and old, man and woman, sinner and saint, and begin to knock on that door so that all will be willing to open up the door so that you can come in. I want you to open your eyes for a moment. I'm about to give the altar call. <clears throat> but I read a story just recently. There was a fire in downtown Chicago. Apartment complex was on fire. And in they had thought they had cleared the building, but then they heard screams. And it was kind of not at the top, it wasn't at the bottom, it was right in the middle. And they could see motion from the outside. They could see that there were, there was people in one of the apartments. And they asked, the the chief asked the fireman, I thought you cleared the floors. I thought you knocked on every door. They said, we did. We thought the building was clear. And he said, there's somebody in that room. So these firefighters pushed their way through climbed those stairs. Got to the room. They could hear the screaming. How the entire place was on fire and the firefighters, three firefighters are banging on the door. Banging on the door. They're, 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 they don't know where, who's in there and they're afraid to kick down the door because they don't know if somebody's in front of them that they could harm. So they're banging on the door and they're saying, Chicago Fire Department, Can you hear us? And there's a little girl on the other side. And she said, I can hear you. Help me, help me, help me. Me and my little brother and my little sister are here. He said, stand back from the door. And they start beating through the door. And this door is just a solid metal door. And they know that they can beat through this door, but it's going to take way too much time. And so he says, listen, I need you to open up the door. And they're trying to open the door and the door's locked. He said, I need you to open up the door. And the little girl says, I don't know who you are. My mom didn't, so told me, don't open the door for any strangers. I don't know you. But please help me. Get me out of here. She's screaming. She can hear, he can hear the baby crying. Is your mom inside? No, she's at work. He said, open the door, open the door, open the door. He's screaming at her. She said, I can't open the door. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Firefighters had to leave them. Three children perished in that fire. Because they refused to open the door. I'm not saying that for emotional. I'm saying that because, let me explain something. The dead, dead bolt is on your side. And Jesus stands at the door of your life and your heart and your eternity and knocks And you're the one that has to open the door. He can't kick down the door. You have to invite him in. You have to ask him, save me, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, be my Lord, be my Savior. Don't perish in eternity away from God because you are too afraid, too proud, too arrogant, too ignorant to open the door. I want you to stand to your feet with me. I want you to close your eyes for a moment because this is where the true decision is made. Who do you say that he is? Do you know him or do you want to know him? If you're in this place, whether you've never given your life to Jesus or maybe at one time you did and took it back. If you're here and you're like, I want to know Jesus and I'm tired of playing games and I'm ready to surrender my life once and for all. I'm not going to give Jesus just my sin. He didn't die for my sin. He died for my life. He didn't suffer the way he did so that I could give him the things I don't want. He paid the price so that I could get the things that I didn't think I could ever have. And that's eternity and peace and joy and love and freedom. It's a life for a life, a life and even exchange. I get blessed and he got cursed. But if you're in this place, I'm gonna ask the question and you gotta be willing to make the decision. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking If you're here and you are willing to say that at this moment you don't know Jesus as Lord, as Savior, maybe at one time you did or maybe you never have, but today you're saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I'm done playing games and I'm ready to surrender my life. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to look at me. I'm gonna ask you to put feet to your faith and I'm gonna ask you to step out of your comfort zone and I'm gonna ask you to come to this altar here in just a moment. If you can't do it in here, you'll never do it out there. I promise you. Every person in here is for you. And they want you to encounter God in ways that you never have. But it's going to take a step of boldness. It's going to take a step of faith. It's going to take a step of decision where you're like, I don't care what anybody else thinks because other people's opinions don't pay my bills. And last time I checked, it's none of my business what other people think is between me and Jesus and I don't want another day to go not knowing who Jesus is and him being my savior